We're continuing on in a sermon series uh, that highlights, uh, that kind of preaches through um, some biblical values that the church and leadership has felt like these are things that God is pressing us to grow uh, and to live into in uh, this time of the life of our church. Um, The values that were expressed through a process of kind of communal discernment uh, really came to the head uh, titles of belonging and becoming. That God is challenging us to live into a church where belonging and becoming are exhibited. Where we know we belong to God and to each other. Where we make place for belonging uh, in our differences. Uh, but also that we are becoming. That we're challenged to grow deeper. To be transformed. To not stay where we're at. But to let the the um, spirit of God transform us into who he's calling us to be. So under belonging, uh, we have the values of being Jesus-centered. That's kind of the core value, right? Uh, Intergenerational, multi-ethnic, and genuine. That we can belong as we are in our different stages of life. Uh, We can make places for belonging in those, in our different ethnic backgrounds and races, uh, and that we can be genuine, that we can belong as we truly are, not having to put on a churchy front uh, to to fit in or to be here. In becoming, uh, we see the Spirit leading us to be courageous, contemplative, and to love mercy and do justice. Uh, and cor- courageous is the biblical value that we're talking about uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, courage is actually a theme that is written all over Scripture. Uh, first, I did an English search for courage, right? And that, that yielded lots of results. Um, but as you get behind the word uh, courage into its kind of Greek and Hebrew roots that are translated sometimes as courage, uh, you might hear other words that are translated. So anytime in the Bible that you read something that says, take heart, that's usually the same word as the commandment, be courageous. So we sometimes hear it translated, be courageous. Sometimes we hear it translated differently. And God is constantly challenging God's people to take heart and to be courageous. Uh, you also hear, I think, what the other part of Scripture where you see this a lot is when God says, don't be afraid. Man, how many times did we hear that as we went through um, the Advent season and thinking about the story of the birth of Christ? Don't be afraid. Something different is happening, but I'm in control, God says. You don't have to be afraid of what's happening, Mary. You don't have to be afraid to have this child. Joseph, you don't have to be afraid Uh, to take Mary to be your wife. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Follow the word of God. Uh, Biblical courage uh, has to do with believing that God can carry forth God's promises. So we think of courage uh, in in a lot of different ways, but biblical courage has to do with God, a, a, a steadfast assurance that God can carry forth God's promises And that we can obey God and be okay. That even if we obey God in things that look scary, that we can still be okay. And this is not an easy thing to do. 
and we're constantly encouraged for it. Uh, so it's a theme that's all over scripture, but I'm going to focus on two examples, uh, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, around two turning points in the history of what God's doing uh, in God's people. Uh, and, and I'm going to say they're the two Joshua's or the two Jesus's. So if you don't know, Jesus is actually the, um, well, Yeshua is the Greek translation for the um, Hebrew name Joshua, and then we translate it in English to Jesus. Uh, so, so it's the same name, and it means salvation. Joshua, in the Old Testament, lived in anxious times. His people, the Israelites, they were in an uncomfortable in-between. They left the predictably miserable days of slavery in Egypt. They were dramatically rescued by God through Moses. You remember the parting of the Red Sea, right? They're freed from slavery, and they're headed to a land that God's promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, where the promises are going to be realized, but they weren't there yet. And Joshua lived in the time between the rescue and the promise. Joshua lived in a people who'd left the worst behind, but who couldn't help but to look back sometimes on some days when things were hard and long for a life of predictable misery. Right? They kept calling out, Oh, what are we going to eat? Oh, this water is terrible. Oh, we're tired of the manna that you brought down from heaven. Can we get some meat, right? Would that you would, we could just go back to Egypt where we knew what we had every day, where we didn't have to worry, we're not exposed in some desert uh, to other nations that would come and plunder us and kill us, where we knew what was going to happen day by day. It was highly anxious times. The anxiety was too much for the people to bear. And they'd swing wildly between extremes of awe and worship of God, of awe of the, the Red Sea partying and rejoicing and celebrating. And then all of a sudden, you'd see them building another God that might work out better that God had forbid them to do. They swung wildly between adoring Moses, uh, honoring God's work in Moses, and then plotting to overthrow him. They were anxious. As the circumstances changed, so did their behavior, so did their allegiances. They were looking to cling and grasp for anything that could make them feel safe. So now we come to the point of the story where Moses has died and Joshua, whose name means salvation, is given the mantle of leadership for this anxious people. I think there was probably an eerie calmness around the time of Moses' death. It seems like the narrative slows down and Moses is getting old. Uh, he's about to die. Uh, and then he does. And I'm sure that there were times during this time the, the line of succession was apparent that Joshua was thinking about what was next for him, about what he would do. I'm sure he would go down to the Jordan, maybe dip his feet in the water, 
and think about what lied on the other side. And was God really calling them to go into the land where that's flowing with milk and honey, but that's also full of threats? Crossing the water, crossing a river uh, by oneself or with a small group of spies like he had done earlier is one thing. But crossing the water with your old people, your sick people, your children, that was total commitment. And there's no backing down. There's no worse thing than you could imagine than to lead a people, a whole people, to get pinned up against a body of water Um, by armies that would slaughter them, right? And Joshua is thinking about this. And then the word of the Lord came to him and spoke. And you can follow along if you want to open up a Bible. There's some in the pews in front of you, and you maybe have brought one, or you may have access to it on a tiny computer in your pocket. Uh, It will start, it's at Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Joshua hears God. We don't hear exactly how that was, but is it inside his head? Was it outside his head? Or is, I don't know. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you, give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be very strong. Be strong and very courageous. This is the part of scripture that always comes to mind when I think of of courage because you hear it over and over again. I didn't count how many times, but it seems like God won't let this go with Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And the strength and the courage uh, comes from following God's word. This is what Christian courage always has to do. Biblical courage always has to do with obeying God's word rather than submitting to the anxiety of the circumstances. I'm guessing that when Joshua heard these words from God, he thought about the last time he crossed the Jordan. It was years ago as a spy, and he'd been strong, and he'd been courageous. There were 12 spies who'd gone into hostile territory, and they saw these amazing crops, a land flowing with milk and honey, but also amazingly strong people nourished by these crops and by that land. As Joshua and Caleb looked around, they swallowed hard at the thought of taking the land. They were aware of what the obstacles that lie ahead, but they believed that God would give them the land like God promised. But the rest of the group seemed to swing wildly back and forth in their anxiety. Once they were cutting down the hugest cluster of grapes that one could imagine. They were carrying it on a pole between them, saying, look at this land, isn't it going to be great? And then the next minute, uh, probably around the fire at night, they remembered the people that they'd saw 
First, maybe they had thought they had seen merely healthy, strong-looking, well-fed people. But as the night's stories progressed, they were sure that these must be the legendary sons of Anak. Stronger than real life. Giants in the land. Later, they convinced each other that these were actually the legendary Nephilim, the giant offspring of angelic beings commingled with humans. And when they reported back, they spread their anxiety to the whole community of the Israelites. Joshua and Caleb insisted they should proceed obeying the word of God, um, but the people rebelled against Moses. And they wouldn't do it. They said, wouldn't it be better to die in slavery in Egypt? And then God said, if you won't, since you won't obey, none of you who wouldn't obey will see the land. You'll be roaming around until the last one dies, and then a new generation will come into the land. Then they hear that, and in their anxiety, they freak out again. And instead of following God's word at that time, then they say, oh, never mind then. We'll go in and we'll go, go across the river and we'll fight some people. We'll take the land now. Uh, and Moses said, that's not going to work. That's not what God said. And they did it anyway, and they got slaughtered. Uh, and then they go around uh, for a long time. And now the time has come, and it's time to actually take the land. And can you imagine the anxiety that wells up in Joshua? Not just of the consequences that they might face, but his fear of of the Israelites, his fear of his people. The last time we even talked about going over the, the river, what happened? The last time we even talked about going over the river, it was a mess. We couldn't figure it out together. There was rebellion and there were consequences. But God continued to talk to Joshua and said, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. This is going on from verse 7 in Joshua 1. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day or night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Over and over again in scripture, We're called to put aside fear and to continue in the path of following God. In order to live a good life, our actions have to be rooted in an authority outside of ourselves. I think scripture points to the fact that these anxieties of keeping ourselves safe Uh, it can undermine our ability to live a consistent, fruitful life. Man, we so easily get steered by anxiety and reactivity uh, that, that we have to be on one side or the other. Joshua lived in anxious times, and I think we live in anxious times too. 
Uh, we're constantly being called upon to display boldness, which often isn't the real courage of following Jesus. Uh, sometimes we're challenged to speak out boldly on Facebook uh, or to, to make a bold stand on a position uh, that we're not, uh, that, that's more of a surrender to the debate, to the atmosphere at large than it is to following God in faithful service and love, to obeying scripture. We're called to be rooted in something bigger and deeper than ourselves and to continue on the path of following Jesus when things look good and when things look bad, when it seems to boost our reputation and when it would seem to tear our reputation down. When it would be physically safe or unsafe. This is what uh, believers in God have been called to do all along. And it turns out that we're weak and we're easily swayed by anxiety. And as I was preaching this message, uh, getting ready to preach it, um, man, all of my cowardice seems to kind of come out. That we're weak and we're easily swayed by our anxiety. And we fail to be courageous. We respond before we obey. Rather than look more deeply into scripture, rather than meditate on the law of God day and night, we want to make a quick decision that relieves our anxiety. We want to be on one side or the other uh, of the mobs or the masses. Uh, We want uh, to get out of the trap that we find ourselves in. More than a thousand years after the Joshua we were talking about, uh, Jesus came, Yeshua. He also lived in anxious times. This was the biggest turning point in the story of God and God's people. Uh, And there was huge amounts of anxiety about whether the Israelites were going to get even more serious about obeying the law, uh, whether they were going to obey not only the law, but the traditions that were on top of the law so that they would get God to act to save them, or whether they're going to make compromises with the Roman government, with the empire. Uh, And there's, there's all kinds of fighting. You're either for the Pharisees or you're for Herod. And Jesus comes in in these highly anxious times and they're always trying to pin him. Wait, are you on Herod's side? Are you on the Pharisee side? Are you on the Sadducee side? Which sect do you find yourself in? Where are you going to be? There was all this anxiety placed on any leader at that time. um, But it was placed on Jesus. There was anxiety in the crowds as Jesus came in to Jerusalem. On the one hand, they welcomed him uh, with palm branches as he came in on a mule. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. You're the one. We're counting on you. Come do whatever saving us looks like. And then on the other hand, just a week later, crucify him. The anxiety, uh, the fever pitch of what was going on. And Jesus felt anxiety. 
in John 12. We're going to be in John a little bit. In John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? This is close to the crucifixion. My soul is troubled. I'm anxious. Should I ask the Father to save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice of God comes and says, I have glorified it and it will be glorified. My name will be. Jesus felt anxiety but resolved and courage to obey. Uh, And then he comes to the upper room with his disciples. And they're a mess. Jesus knows one of them's about to betray him. Uh, And then uh, as he's talking to them in the upper room, um, before the Last Supper, uh, he's he's telling them more clearly about himself. And in verse 29 of chapter 16, it says, Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. They're in now, right? Jesus says, do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered. Each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. They'd be scattered, Jesus says. Just before, Jesus has said, uh, A new command I give to you, that you would love one another. They had sworn loyalty to Jesus, that they'd be faithful with him to the end, but they would be scattered. They wouldn't follow the command, they wouldn't love each other. They wouldn't remain faithful to Jesus in this turning point of human history. And this is Jesus, what Jesus says about it. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, but be courageous because I have overcome the world. Biblical courage is about submitting our anxieties, our wanting to get out of a tight spot, our wanting to feel safe and protected. Biblical courage is about submitting all that anxiety to the word of God and obeying. That's true throughout all of scripture. But Christian courage includes this next move that Jesus makes. Christian courage realizes that in and of ourselves, we aren't even able to obey, that we're going to mess up. And that knowing that God knows that, that this does not thwart Jesus' plan, that Jesus is pursuing and will lead us where he's taking us, receiving forgiveness for our disobedience, for our lack of courage, That is the Christian courage that Jesus is calling us to here. Biblical courage in all areas is 
to obey the word of God despite our anxieties. Christian courage uh, is to know that even in our failings, we can courageously become before the foot of the cross and be forgiven and be set right. Not by our own effort, not by our own courage, but by God's accomplishment for us. And they're both true. We don't, we don't stop trying to obey because we know that we fail. Uh, we're emboldened by Christ's sacrifice and forgiveness. So how do we live? How do we live in courage? Uh, Stephanie is tasked once again with kind of doing the I do the biblical root, which really talking about the Bible. What does the Bible say courage is? And then Stephanie is going to be preaching more about examples. What does that look like in our lives? Um, but I'm going to touch on it too. Uh, I really believe that, uh, that one of the things that biblical courage does uh, that we need to do in our community is to resist the false courage of reactivity in anxious times. So reactivity says when something's in the headlines or when something's a big deal uh, in a community of people uh, or there's a rumor going around, reactivity says I have to react the right way right away uh, to relieve um, this tense spot that we're in. Um, sometimes we know, it, we, we do know uh, by the truth of scripture and by our conviction what God would have us do, and we, would, and we continue to live into that as circumstances hit. But there's a spirit, especially in anxious times of reactivity, that I have to be the first one to react and respond. Uh, that if something happens, I have to have the equal and opposite reaction. And our reactivity to each other, particularly in, uh, in the people of God, can create deep divisions where we forget to obey the commandment to love one another, where the particular issue of the day seems to be the thing that we have to fight and divide over, uh, and the holisticness of our discipleship and loving each other uh, takes a back seat. Uh, the way that we... Um, that we resist the reactivity of anxious times is to root ourselves deeply in scripture. To root ourselves into really knowing God's character and love and instruction. Oftentimes, our anxiety would have us not look deeply at scripture. Sometimes we know what we think about something, right? Uh, we know what we want to do. And looking too closely at scripture uh, might change our minds. Real courage engages scripture's authority, knowing that God has what's good for us. There are times where scripture, what we think scripture is saying, and what we think we're experiencing as true in our lives and in the lives of people around us, don't seem to add up. Christians deal with this a lot. We've dealt with it uh, a fair amount in, um, in science. Sometimes people have looked at the book of Genesis and say, it looks like the earth should be this age, but science says it should be this age. Uh, we deal with it in ethics. 
where, where we say, uh, it looks like scripture saying women shouldn't be pastors. And Maggie did a great job of engaging that question with deep biblical study uh, and sharing that at the West Hills Talks today. Um, but our experience is that women are created equal, right? We're, we're experiencing something different. What is going on here? Uh, right now, there's a current topic around sexuality. It looks like the experience of these people uh, is, is this way. And, and, that, and, and what we think scripture is saying about it may be different than what we would like to believe. All of these questions call on our courage to engage scripture and our experience, to engage all the commandments, to love each other, and to de dedicate ourselves to following Jesus. There's really different paths uh, as we encounter some of the tougher questions. Most of the stuff in the Bible is easy and still really hard to do, right? But as we encounter some of the questions uh, that come up, the possibilities are that we're reading our experience of truth in the world wrong, uh, that it's not what we're saying, and, and this, um, or that we're misunderstanding what scripture is saying. And I know I've been on both sides of those in many different issues uh, where I realized, oh, scripture wasn't saying what I thought it was saying as I really engage it and dig deeper. Um, but, I'm on, but, but it takes courage to be honest enough to also say, oh, scripture was saying what I thought it was saying. And somehow I have to, to figure out how to get my experience of life and truth and what I think seems right or good to align that with what scripture says. Those take courage to do as individuals and it takes courage to do as a community. And I know, uh, and I want to, um, to confess here and now that I'm not the best at courage. Um, as I'm preparing, and even as I was sitting in the front um, pew this morning, I realized uh, that there are questions, particularly around how we love LGBTQ uh, folks in our church and our community uh, in a biblical and Christian way, that I've shied away from out of fear. Out of fear of, of what that does to this community. Um, looking at the life of Joshua, thinking about, oh, what did, what did he think might be the reaction to, hey, we're going to cross the, the Jordan, right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to get real about uh, doing better in this area. Uh, and my lack of courage, I don't think, has served people uh, who are struggling uh, with, with their own sexual identity or with uh, family members to love God and each other well. I want to be clear that, that the point is never to be on the right side of some cultural, political debate. But the point always has to be to be obedient to God, to be courageous enough to explore, uh, to wonder together, and, and to live as a community in a way that doesn't discount the significant um, hard spots of figuring out what it means to love each other and our neighbors well, consistently. But being courageous uh, in the big issues, uh, the hot topics, um, the kind of boilerplate issues, sometimes can distract us 
from the little courages that it takes to get through each day. Uh, most of, of our life uh, and, and kind of our qualification for dealing with some of the bigger, harder stuff is obeying God in the things that we know we should obey God in. Uh, it's, it's how we conduct ourselves in our family. It's the ability to love and to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. Man, asking for forgiveness, that's one of the hardest things to do. And it seems like the heart, it's harder as the people get closer to you, right? It might be easier to ask forgiveness from a big group. It's harder to, to ask for forgiveness from the people that we're closest to. To admit, like Jesus knew we were going to fail, to admit that we failed and to come back around and to apologize and to love well. To be honest to be transparent, to not take shortcuts, uh, ethical shortcuts at work or at home that we might think would get us ahead or keep us safe. We need courage. We need the courage that's rooted in something outside of ourselves. And I think this is, this is an area where, um, where Christian faith uh, has so much to offer us. It is so impossible uh, to navigate life by going with our gut. Our gut is, is just so susceptible uh, to anxiety and to being, just like we saw throughout Scripture, being on one side on one time and one side on the other time, to being inconsistent, to never gaining the fruit that comes from consistent obedience. Uh, Jesus is good. Following Jesus will bear good fruit. And sometimes it looks really hard or risky. But we can do it because Jesus has given his life so that we can have life. A life that starts now and that that bubbles up into eternal life. All the risks that we take about our reputation, about our financial security, about our position, about our jobs, all of those Jesus already has covered. And sometimes uh, we have to wait until the resurrection. Uh, sometimes uh, Christians have been martyred by doing what they know is right, even they know that, though they know that it will cost them their lives. But most of the time, we see the fruit right here and now. We think our reputation is going to be diminished, but it's actually enhanced. We think that giving generously is going to keep us uh, from from security, that it's going to keep us from having what we need, but we find that we aren't. Uh, But either way, whether it's in the here and now or in the hereafter, we can trust that Jesus will fulfill his promises. Uh, 